0: Welcome to Women in Venture Capital, a podcast by students for students. I'm Rushvena. And I'm Anvita. And we are from the Harvard Business School. Our guest today is
1: Caitlin Strandberg. Caitlin is a partner at Hippo, an early stage fund based in New York, seeking entrepreneurs with product vision, consumer insight, focused execution, and unwavering ambition. Some of LH's notable investments include Wabi Parker, Allbirds, Glossier, Casper, BuzzFeed, and more. She joined Leonard Hippoff from Mark, an early stage venture firm based in New York City, where she was a vice president. She previously worked on the investment team at Flybridge Capital Partners and at two startups, LearnVest that was acquired by Northwestern Mutual and Hands that was acquired by Adobe. She was featured in Forbes 30 under 30 in 2017. Caitlin is a graduate of Cornell University, where she majored in history and holds an MBA from the Howard Business School. We're extremely delighted to have you, Caitlin. Thanks for making the time.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Super. Jumping right in, curious to hear about how your career began from your undergrad in history, after which you started your career in journalism and then went on to join Behance, a startup focused on crowdsourcing talent in their business development role. Could you share with us your early career decisions and what did you learn most from those experiences?
2: Sure. So maybe I'll just, I'll just level set and I'll kind of explain what I do today and then we can kind of work backwards a little bit on what those career, very intentional decisions were. Um, <laughs> they weren't that intentional. Um, but so I work at Lair Hippo. We're an early stage venture fund. We're based in New York City, but we invest all over the country. We do both consumer and enterprise investing, but we tend to be known for our consumer type companies, largely because of the name recognition of those businesses. Um, in which you mentioned many of those before. Um, you know, we're all generalists at the fund, which means we do both kind of consumer and enterprise, and we we have areas of interest, but we really kind of try to do um all areas, any interesting founder that's coming out of a or that's building a really interesting business. We want to kind of be eyes wide open, but we've done um cybersecurity, we've done crypt- uh, cryptocurrency, we've done um agriculture and food tech. We've done obviously consumer products. We've done HR software. We do kind of everything. Um, so, so we're all kind of, we can kind of do a little bit of anything and everything, but we are seed investors and seed investors means that we really are trying to invest kind of at that very early stage. Um, we invest anywhere from one to $3 million to be uh, one of the early checks in a company where we try to own about 10 to 12% of a business. And that's the, really the strategy. Um, so, so that's kind of what I do and what Lair Hippo does. Um, but I would say if I were to kind of just think about some of my early career decisions, you know, when I was a, or leading up to, to what I'm doing as a uh, investor in startups, you know, in college, I got really excited about startups. I had started a kind of, I kind of co-founded with some friends, a digital media group. Uh, at Cornell, where I went to undergraduate and it was an internet radio station an internet TV station and a digital magazine which we found out later the word was called a blog. Um, But this was in about 2006 2007 so it was really at a, a cool time for the internet where, you know, suddenly you could, you could throw out an audio stream online and anywhere anyone in the world anyone anywhere in the world could listen and kind of plug in. Um, Same with kind of like sharing video content. So we would live stream the Cornell hockey games and alumni from all over the country could watch. Uh, And it was just kind of like a really cool way for students to get exposure to putting their voice online and and self-expression and to kind of learn a little bit of like the practice side of the theory that you were learning in the classroom. So for me, that was a really entrepreneurial experience and I got really excited about it. And I remember when I was a, you know, In 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009 and 10, I was basically like, how do I do this for a career? I really love what I'm doing. I'm having an idea on a Monday. I'm putting it live on a website on a Wednesday and I'm finding out on a Friday that it was a terrible idea. Like that immediate feedback I really liked quite a bit. And so I had a couple of professors that said, have you heard about startups? Do you know what kind of startups are? And this was in 2009, 2010. And so that was my early exposure. And so for me, when I graduated, I really wanted to learn how to be a founder. And so I got, you know, I was very fortunate to be able to work for Scott Belsky at Behance. and I was there for a little while kind of at that early stage, you know, kind of that seed to Series A stage. I was, I think, the 12th or 13th employee, and I was there through about, you know, 35 employees or so. Um, and then I switched gears, and I also, uh, in my next kind of startup, I worked for Alexa von Tobel at Best, and I joined as about the 35th employee or somewhere in there, and I stayed, you know, they had just raised a Series B, and I stayed probably, um, and they went from about 35 employees to, you know, something like 80, 80 to 100 employees kind of. Um, and so for me, I wanted to see what startups were like from the early to kind of growth phase and learn from really talented entrepreneurs so I could kind of really get a sense of what best in class looked like. Um, and then, you know, from there, I, I made a move to Flybridge, which is a fabulous venture fund. I helped them open their New York City office, a Boston based fund. Um, And I really wanted to figure out what like good versus great startups look like. So this was kind of my like unintentional curriculum of, you know, I want to be a founder. What do great founders look like? How do kind of companies work internally? And then what do great companies look like that get funded or don't get funded? And then I went into business school and I thought I would start my big billion dollar company. Um, I tried a couple of ideas. I realized I'm not a very good entrepreneur for these big billion dollar exits. Uh, and I decided I did a little soul searching, which you do in business school. And I decided, you know, I actually really love venture and venture investing and working with entrepreneurs and working with founders and being, being more of the coach uh, and and less of the player. I think for a long time, I really had like extreme founder envy where I really wanted to be a founder. And uh, I think, you know, from 26 to 28 years old, I just kind of like got real honest with myself and realized, you know, starting a company is really hard and you really have to find the right problem and the right um, co-founder and you have to really be motivated to really be solving that. And I just didn't find that. Um, And I actually really got a lot of kind of intrinsic satisfaction out of just helping people and helping them go from, you know, C to series A and offer some advice and offer some perspective. And And what I also really liked, which I learned from working at startups is I liked working on a lot of different things at the same time. Uh, So I liked kind of seeing a lot of companies having that diversity of ideas and type of business and type of problem that would come across my desk in a given day. And that was really activating for me. And I really actually quite enjoyed that rather than focusing and going very, very deep on a single problem. Um, So that was kind of like, you know, when I worked at a couple of funds and now I'm at Layer Hippo, uh, a great fabulous generalist seed fund. but really, like the, the line of those career decisions was, was for me really just, you know, being a little bit interested in a particular company or a problem, trying to learn as much as I could, like really that steep, that steep part of the learning curve. And the moment my learning would slow or that I felt like I kind of like could do something like, you know, fairly routine or I kind of got the hang of it, I wanted to be at a different type of new problem and a different type of learning curve. I was really optimizing to learn as much as I could, as quickly as I could, and just kind of like follow my interests and kind of pull the thread on what was interesting to me today. Um, and that was really kind of how I did it. I think after business school, when I when I decided I really wanted to be a career investor, I, I thought about like, okay, what are the skills that I have? And what are the skills that I need to be a long-term investor? And the, so then I kind of started to chase those opportunities. But but those are really some of the early career decisions. Um, you know, just, just, just that they were largely unintentional, but related. And, and I, you know, I look back and I'm, I'm glad that I made all those decisions.
0: All of those really resonated with me. Um, and Anvita and I are each going through our own soul searching process um, in business school. So very much agree with you. Um, You did mention Flybridge um, and your transition to investing. So I want to talk a little bit about that. So after spending time um, with startups, you decided to transition. How did you realize your interest in venture capital? And you you touched on this a little bit. But how did you narrow down a a sector or a stage that you wanted to pursue?
2: That's a great question. Um, How did I narrow it down? I really go a lot off of feel. Um, so, you know, I, I knew, and one of the reasons I went to startups and kind of tech companies in the first place was like, I knew I couldn't survive in a skirt suit and I couldn't be in a big political organization. And I didn't want to navigate that. And I wasn't excited about things like that. And so that kind of quickly sorted me to early stage companies that were kind of casual and they, they really value employees that, that have, uh, you know, take initiative over having experience. Those are kind of the places that I, I tend to do well in and, and that I really enjoy and I learn the most in. So that was kind of like the first, I guess, insight that led me to start in the first place. And then in terms of um, realizing my interest in, in kind of venture, it was a lot of soul searching. I was really grateful that I had, had the early experience at Flybridge to go into business school and evaluate, you know, do I wanna be a founder? Do I wanna be a startup employee? Do I wanna be an investor? Do I wanna just you know, jettison it all and go work at a Facebook, Amazon, uh, Google type company? Or do I really wanna go somewhere else and just hang up the whole tech and startup uh, thing, which I could never really do. I knew that I was always gonna come back to this space. And so for me, it was having those three experiences that allowed me to think about which one I would wanna go back to and in terms of narrowing down my sector and stage, um, you know, at, at Flybridge, I was certainly more of like a, you know, it was, a, it was really kind of more of like a seed, you know, kind of like a seed, a little bit of series A type fund. So I got experience to that. When I joined first Mark out of business school, it was, you know, series A, series B, and they also had some later stage investing. So I could see companies that were kind of in that real growth phase where they were raising series C, series D. I was able to to go to some board meetings and see what that kind of looked like and I was able to kind of flex my skill set and see how good I was and how much I enjoyed excel and waterfall analysis and things like that and you know reading a ton of legal docs that had stacked over five years Um, and I think I you know when I when I was I was coming to a point in my career where I had been doing venture probably for five or six years and I was thinking about well what's left for me to really explore what should I, what should I be kind of, what, what experience should I be having? Because I now had some, a little bit of consumer experience, but really it was more kind of like B2B, a little bit of enterprise. You know, I was, I was, I can learn a lot about any particular space, but I was really trying to spend that time thinking about what like a good versus great investment looks like and thinking about what portfolio support and, and how to help founders at different stages looks like. And And the last kind of thing I really needed to do at this particular stage was like make some decisions and have conviction about companies get excited about a company do some of the work to figure out you know the team's questions and answers but really it was like you know I'm around a lot of investing but my I don't have skin in the game I'm not pounding the table and saying we should absolutely do this um I was in learning mode and so I made a transition to go to layer hippo Because I really, you know, I I love and respect the firm. They have great portfolio companies, but it was really a place where I could um, have a lot of conviction, get excited about a company, get buying from the team to make the investment, but also have the repetitions of the number of companies, number of investments that we do to really kind of fine tune that decision making ability, um, learn very quickly. And, and, you know, it's not that different than my experience in, in college where I wanted to have an idea on a Monday. Put it live on Wednesday, on Friday. When you're doing seed investing, you get you know pretty quick feedback at the Series A and Series B if that investment has been has been kind of good or, or fruitful or not. And so I really wanted to put my hat on the ring and make some decisions. And I thought that I had some good instinct, but I wanted to pressure test it. And I knew that I would make some some great decisions. Uh, and then I would probably make some some decisions I would need to learn from. But that was really the opportunity for me at Layer Hippo. And and I you know I I stage seed is, I really like quite a bit. I don't really love, I don't like growth investing. I really like where it's more kind of art versus science. Um, I like the people side of venture. I I think I'm probably, I'm less of a thematic investor though. I've certainly now at this point of there's some areas that I'm, I'm fairly strong at, or I have some, some instinct on, but I, you know, the number one thing I care about is always the founder. Um, I, I think I've, I, certainly a people person. I connect with with um, with founders, uh, you know, around their level of excitement and their passion. And I can get excited about literally anything they're building if I'm excited about them. And that was the case with some of our companies. Uh, you know, I invested in a company called Plantable Foods, which is a, a plant-based protein company that's, that's based in San Diego. And uh, I'm not an ag tech investor. I'm not a you know, food investor. I'm. I. Uh, it's not a space that I knew at the time, but I just love the founders, Tony and Moritz, and they were these brilliant Danish um, entrepreneurs. And I, I went to the farm, and I was like, okay, I'm going to learn as much as I can to figure out if we should make this investment. And I did a similar thing uh, with a company in the the uh, the human genome space. Um, I've done something recently that that Anvita is kind of. Had some exposure to in in uh, the carbonation space, the liquid carbonation space. But on top of that, I do great consumer products. So we're in a company called Topicals, which is um, skincare for chronic skin conditions, which is a fabulous founder in LA. Um, you know, I, I the the thing is, I get I narrow down on fabulous founders that just have it. They have this sparkle, and it's similar to the glint I saw with. Bellscape B and Alexa learn vest I feel like I've developed and honed a good taste and a good um, a good kind of instinct for people and at the end of the day you know if, if there's a founder who I think is really strong and they're they're building a, a business in any industry I get a, I get excited about that opportunity so um, so that's been kind of how I've chosen the the stage and kind of the sector but um, you know it, it's as a history major, I was dabbling in all sorts of stuff. I'm definitely like a liberal arts kid at heart, and so I love the I love the buffet approach—a little bit of everything. Learn about a little bit of everything. Life is too big to 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 not explore all sorts of different areas, and 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 uh, and the, and I love the level of excitement and, and rapid pace of kind of tech and innovation, and uh, there's just so much. You know, there's there are some things I'm going to be very drawn to and there's some things I'm not and I'm not going to waste any time thinking about the ones that I'm not because there's so many other exciting things out there.
1: I think you put it really well and your passion for early stage investing is absolutely evident. Uh, What stuck out to me were two key things, I think, one that know what you're signing up for both kinds of investing, be it early stage later stage or even stage after that require very different skill sets very different culture, if you will, and know what you're signing up for which you kind of knew. On the same note, curious to hear, are there any recent hot sectors that you've been following, especially in the upcoming post-pandemic world?
2: Uh, Yes, there are many. Um, So I'll just kind of rattle off a couple that I know that we're excited about as a firm and I'm excited about as well. I think, you know, when you think about the post-pandemic world, there are a couple of obvious opportunities. So on one hand, it's kind of health and wellness where you know, a couple of years ago, it was definitely a top five consideration for consumers, but now it's probably the most important consideration for consumers. So we look for companies both on the B two B and B B2, two C side that kind of support that new consumer, or that new shift in mindset and prioritization around spend. So that can be anything from you know fitness equipment. So we were early investors in Mirror to um, daily hydration. So we're investors in a company called Cure. Um, we're also investors in CPD companies for kind of anxiety and, and, um, and inflammation for skin. Um, so those are kind of the ones that kind of come to mind initially on health and wellness. So I would say separately, you know, post-pandemic, obviously many people, almost the entire world, shifted their spend to buying online and direct-to-consumer massive, massive um, uh, growth. And with that, we've had to think about, you know, what are the structures and systems in place that support that type of growth and can bring companies more into that kind of direct to consumer style. Um, So we've looked a lot at the e-com enablement space, um, which is, you know, obviously there are massive supply chain constraints, and there's also kind of inventory planning and thinking through um you know logistics and payments and moving things one way to another so we've invested in a number of companies in that space and it's one that we watch very closely Um, you know kind of tangential to the health and wellness space we're thinking a lot about health data and what that means Um, so i you know i mentioned a bit of a whole genome company previously but i think that's a really interesting space when you think about all of the ai and the machine learning that's going on um, in different industries, if you were to kind of put it on, you know, human data and health data, I think in the next few years, we're going to see like massive unlocks and I think consumers are going to care about it. They'll also care about the privacy piece around it, but care about it in a way that they didn't previously, um, you know, love climate change, don't know if I, I don't love climate change, but I love companies that are focused and fixated on climate change. Um, you know, we've looked at alternative, we're investors in a company called Plannable Foods which is, which I mentioned before, which is a a, plant-based protein. Um, We're investors in in all sorts of companies that think about, um, you know, Alberts is a great example, right? Their whole, they've shown the world that you can build all sorts of kind of everyday products with sustainable materials and they've imposed their own carbon tax on their businesses and their vendors. So like, you know, we're always looking for companies that are thinking about climate change and impacting it in some way, whether internally or externally. And that's become like a very important kind of uh, criteria for many of our companies. Um, uh, So so kind of love to see companies doing things like that and always interested in how uh, new startups and new technologies are kind of changing and informing the conversation there. And I would say finally, love Gen Z. Uh, We've made a bunch of investments in the Gen Z space. So we're in Parade, which is a next generation Victoria's Secret. We're in Studs, which is a next generation kind of Claire's for piercing and self-expression and adornment. We're in Topicals, which is a a skincare company for chronic skin conditions. Um, We're in Flare, which is also an HBS company, which is a wearable and kind of the personal safety um, space around kind of safe spaces and inclusion and you know, we're in a number of companies that target the Gen Z consumer. We're also in companies that are targeting the the uh, the Gen Z employee in a really interesting way. So that's one that we're kind of watching. Um, I, I think the space is really is really powerful. It's it's very unique to be in a position where you can invest where a new consumer demographic is actually coming to market at the moment where they have their own discretionary spend. They're they're graduating from schools and universities. They're they're experiencing kind of um, they're going from childhood to adulthood. It's a really powerful moment to be thinking about um, new brands and new ways to kind of service this type of consumer that I think is really special and unique. So it is a space that we watch very closely. It's a space that we've made a number of investments in. It's a consumer that I completely adore. I like that they care about social mission and social causes. I like that they they care about products and services that are authentic. Uh, I like that they um, that they, They really hold companies and brands accountable so and I love the self-expression and the diversity and inclusion and you know the push for representation it all really is a it's a very important um, uh, you know push to a society that I believe is is certainly better than what what exists today so um, those are kind of the hits on where we invest but we we really invest in all over cannabis cryptocurrency consumer fintech other fintech it's literally we do it all so so, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of our, <laughs> the hot areas that come to mind for me. Um, thanks for sharing that.
0: Um, switching gears a little bit, I want to start the next question by first congratulating you for making partner at Lera Hippo. Um, you're really leading the way for gender parity at the decision-making level in the industry. Um, and one of the reasons we started the podcast is because we, there are a lot of, uh, women capable women who can make it but maybe don't have the resources, the models, um, the role models to look up to. So um, congrats on that. Um, I was wondering if you could share your experiences of how different it at all, uh, if at all it is to be a woman in the investing world, what do you think needs to happen for um, more equal representation and opportunities? So that's
2: a great question and it's a question that I've asked. When I was in your position, I was asking the same thing. And as a woman in venture, um, it's obviously something I've thought about for a long time. And I've experienced it in all sorts of different ways and all sorts of different, uh, let's say, chapters of the venture experience. Um, so I think the things that kind of continue to need to change is, you know, I, I think diversity is great and you need it and you need representation. And I think it's very powerful for, for kind of the next generation of any type of community to see someone that they look like in a couple, you know, one or two classes above. Um, you know, personally, I think that, you know, gender diversity is great. I would like to see a lot more kind of like racial diversity in, in venture, among other types of diversity in, in, in venture. And that's kind of like the first thing is like, know, you can't be what you can't see. That's like one piece, but diversity alone is not going to change anything. There's a, it's called D&I. So it's diversity and inclusion and inclusion means a number of different things, but, you know, at the very high level, it means kind of psychological safety in the workplace. It means you feel comfortable being who you are, bringing yourself to work. You don't have to bring your whole self to work, but like, you know, bringing yourself to work in a real way, having opinions, having a voice, uh, and, and you have a comfortable place to contribute. And I think that's a very important piece. The second thing is, you know, there's, there's a, obviously like a very clear gender equity and gender pay gap across the you know, companies all over the world, but all, particularly in venture. And, and the venture compensation structure is actually a little tricky because you get compensated off of carry, which is equity in the fund, but you also get compensated off of cash. And it's very difficult to, um, to kind of get insight into what is fair and what is market within different venture funds because there are so many different kind of examples. And, and usually that carry piece um, matters because carry vests on a different timeframe. And if you are giving, you know, let's just say women, for example, if you're kind of compensating them fairly, but you're also not able to maintain and include them Uh, so they can kind of invest into their equity, I think that can be kind of problematic. Um, So for me, I think inclusion is very, is, is really important. I think the less we can talk about if it's, you know, a a woman investor or female investor, and we can talk more about if they're an excellent investor and talk more about the companies that they do and the value that they do, the value they add, I think that's probably going to be the best case scenario. But if, but I think every fund has a responsibility, every firm has a responsibility to be widening their pipeline actively searching for minority representation um you know being open-minded to different different backgrounds and experiences but then also be changing the culture internally and changing the structure internally so that those people feel engaged and supported and encouraged for the long term within a fund and that can be a number of different things so that can be compensation that can be clear you know performance management that can be um, you know, a, a, a hard look at the internal dynamics of a fund and making sure that, um, you know, there aren't necessarily, you know, preconditioned biases or all, like unconscious biases and things like that. Sometimes it's hiring an external consultant to do an evaluation of your fund, um, you know, really holding up a mirror into what needs to happen. And that's just that's, you know, internally to fund um, some exercises that we do is, you know, we have a we have a rider within our term sheets now. Uh, excuse me. In our term sheets, where it's a diversity rider, where we require our companies, as we make an investment, when you sign our term sheet, we require that you make a you know real concerted best effort to have a diverse cap table, and that means gender, that means uh, uh, you know race, that means uh, sexual orientation. It can mean a number of different things, and that's a that's a commitment that we make with founders to use our networks to make sure that we're thinking about, are we introducing them to different funds? Are we getting representation on the cap table? Are we making an effort to make sure that this has the best cap table possible because it's as diverse as possible? And are we aligned kind of uh, from a value perspective that diversity is something that we care about and it's gotta be something that the company cares about Um, because we all know that diverse boards and diverse teams perform better than others so it's definitely something that you have to, as a as a firm, you have to put pressure, but you also have to support uh, both internally, externally. That was a long winded way of saying um, it's really important, and it's we're at the very the earliest days, and uh, I look forward to, you know, ten years from now in venture, having the conversation be something very different
0: it's a it's a long way to say a lot of things but there is a lot to be done um like you said and i worked in banking right before hbs and that's something i felt as well Is getting people in is just one of the many steps um there is a need to also like you said sure the environment is conducive to growth of the individual but also just for them to feel safe and you know in a so i really like you said i really echo this i really want the conversation to change towards um your capabilities in their industry versus you know having to put yourself out there as uh, a diversity um
2: higher so we'll see about that totally yeah hopefully directionally correct that's a term i learned in business school directionally correct
1: can't agree more. I think that's really well put. And what stuck out to me was also that as position from position of influence as investors, you are taking proactive efforts to even reach out to your potential founding teams as portfolios. That there needs to be concerted efforts from that end as well. I think it's it's super proactive and really appreciative of that effort. Um, super. Thanks for sharing. And on the same note, turning the table the other side and uh, looking from the perspective of all women or all folks out there who are trying to break into the venture ecosystem. What advice would you have for them if, if you were to share, in terms of how can they break in and progress?
2: That is a that's a great question. It is the perennial question um, for for anyone working in investing. It's a it's a it's a tricky space to break into. Um, you know, I think the first things kind of starts internally with yourself. I think you really need to ask yourself, and I'm say yourself like you know, people that are interested in venture, like, are you really interested in venture? Do you know what the job is? Are you excited about looking at companies day after day after day? Are you excited about, you know, maybe you not making an investment for a little while because you're either trying to find the right one or you can't win companies, you're just not sure. Like, are you really comfortable, um, you know, taking a, a more, let's say like lean back type of role relative to working at a startup or starting your own company or working in an environment where you are, it's kind of like tactile and you're going to meetings and you have products to get launched. Like it's a very different type of role where it's a lot more advisory than anything else. And it's a lot of waiting and see. And it's a lot of saying no to really special people when you have to turn the company down. And sometimes it's a lot of people saying no to you when you can't win deals. And so Um, you know, that's the the making investments piece. And then there's another piece of of being a venture investor, which is, do you want to sit on boards? Do you want to go to board meetings? Do you want to have just the update? Do you want to have one or two questions or maybe a little bit more where you're kind of working with a company through a problem, but at the end of the day, you're not running the company. You're just kind of like the invited guest in a room. So I, I think like when people think about venture from that lens, it kind of sorts people in and out because I don't, you know, I I think it's a fun job for some people, but it's, it's not as glamorous or as interesting or as lucrative as it might seem um, relative to other things you can do either in the industry or, or particularly in like the finance industry. So that's the first thing is do some soul searching and see if you really want to do this. So if the answer is yes, you want to do this. I think, um, I think really it's just about reading a lot about startups reading a lot about like the new trends and in industries getting excited about something having a point of view and then it's just meeting a lot of investors and, and having bringing something to the table which is like hey i really like this space this these are the reasons that are interesting or not i just want to get kind of a sense of what you think just kind of like really hitting the pavement and talking to investors and learning from investors and then once you're ready, once you kind of think about that space, it's really just making sure you're on people's radar. So jobs are getting posted, particularly, you know, All Raise is an organization that is trying to get more women into venture, but also keep women in venture. They have a great job posting email that goes out with all of the new jobs coming out in venture across all these different funds. Um, you know, alumni and affinity networks are also really helpful, having those kind of like coffee chats and those conversations with, with people working in the industry, um, you know, it's, it's, it's always good to have a little bit of startup experience if you can, because that's really what you're investing behind. And so, let's say you have startup experience, like I did, you know, being kind of like connected to, you know, either the founder of the company or, or you know, asking the founder if you can meet some of their investors or kind of like getting some warm introductions to teams. I think is always helpful. Um, and then from there, you kind of just have to like sit and wait. It's it's you know, venture funds are a tricky place because they they don't often have many roles that open up. And when they, they do open up, you know, it's all about kind of timing and what exactly they're looking for. So that's, you know, that's really the best I can, I can do, I can kind of say on that one, but, um, you know, really cultivating a general interest in the space and signing up for the newsletters and reading about them. Um, uh, you know, I, I personally think that having a little bit of startup experience is great. You just having a little bit of, a little bit of relevance on when you're looking at companies and you get a sense of cultural challenges and growth challenges and, you kind of understand that kind of like that scrappiness but really more of like the more of like the qualitative cultural pieces of a startup not necessarily like the type of software you should use or this is how you build something like I really think like the vibe and like the style of a high growth startup is the important thing to learn um, but there's a big debate on like if you should be a if you'd be a founder if operators are great investors or people that have worked in venture are great investors you know but like you choose a side um if i had to give my opinion which i think you probably want me to i really think that having a little taste of startups is great but if you really want to be good at something you just have to do the thing for as long as you can and as reflective as you can and you just keep trying and going so um you know i'd say try to get into venture as as early as possible as an analyst or an associate. There are a lot of funds that do kind of two year programs and then go from there. But but there are a lot of fabulous things and incredible opportunities you can do in the tech and startup community that aren't venture where you might actually learn a lot more and experience a lot more and candidly make a lot more. Like, you know, I, I, you know if you were an early Uber employee or an early Google employee or an early Airbnb or Pinterest employee, like you know, you might you might have some pretty great insights and a great career. Um, that's going to create a lot more opportunity than than starting in the venture world.
1: Perfect. I think this was just on point. And what I loved was that it was not just a lot of understanding of know what you're doing and and get exposure and stuff, but super actionable in terms of, for instance, what emailers to follow, for instance, what kind of research to do and how to reach out to people. So. This was an amazing conversation, Caitlin. I, I kind of knew it would be amazing, but I'm glad that it turned out so well. So thank you so much for spending the time. And before we let you go, we have a quick rapid fire round um, that we'd love to do with you as well. Um, so the first one we have for you, Caitlin, is that I know you love flowers, but what within flowers are your pick and why?
2: Sorry, the question is, what do I like about flowers and why?
1: What is your favorite flower and why?
2: Oh, flower uh <laughs> i got some flowers right here um uh, my favorite flower is an orchid i love an orchid i think my mom always had uh, had orchids around the house and she still has them around the house and i think that you know a part of the reason i love an orchid is because she loves orchids and um i just remember her you know whenever we would go and buy them she would be very specific about like, you know, you have like 10 orchids in front of you, like the exact one we needed, which was like, you know, there's some bulbs that haven't opened and like, it's got a particular arc and you don't want something that's straight up. And it's like, and so I just, every time I see an orchid or, or have an orchid and I actually have three in my apartment right now, um, I think about her and I think that's why I like it so much. Um, that's so I, Yeah, I love an orchid. <laughs> that's
1: sweet. A little more on a serious note, Which one was your last publicly announced investment? And apart from the founding team, what else was something exciting about them?
2: So the last publicly announced investment is a company called Cake. And the website is hellocake.com. And I like this one for a number of reasons. So this is a company that's trying to reinvent the sex aisle. And they have a point of view that you know, sex is taboo, and it shouldn't be. And sex is part of that part of, you know, most people's kind of like everyday life, and and how they kind of view themselves, and express themselves, and enjoy themselves, and it's a way to kind of connect with other people, right? Like intimacy and closeness and connection, um, very important part of mental health, but also physical health. And they want to cake is is reinventing kind of the narrative around sex, and they're creating a suite of kind of products that create an environment where it's shame-free sexual health Um, it's it's gender inclusive it's um for straight couples for lgbtq couples for um self-pleasure for both men and women and non-binary they're they're kind of it's a genderless type um, type company and and i just think it's where the world is going i think there's a great social mission i think it's It's a massive market with very sleepy incumbents when you think of like Trojan and and kind of businesses like that and and KY. Um, And so they're creating better for you products that actually resonate with a young Gen Z millennial consumer and actually meet the consumer with what they actually do, shame free. Um, So so yeah, we really like them a lot. I think it's, uh, I'm trying not to talk about the founders but I do love the founders. I would recommend you check out the website. It's a really kind of powerful mission. one of the special things I really like about this business is when I've known the team for about let's call it two two and a half years and I've seen them across very different similar related products like businesses but um, you know this is this is the third iteration of this was a third kind of meeting over the span of maybe two years and this was the one I got I was really excited about we did it we have to do this we have to work together this is like Mass market and, and people will love this and it's the right market timing and you have all the tenants of a great consumer brand, both for direct to consumer, but also omnichannel so I loved that type of relationship where I can see them over and over again and kind of collaborate with them and and uh, and we kind of got to the the investable type of business for layer hippo. Um, so I'm I'm thrilled with this business and uh, it doesn't hurt that they've got some pretty exciting sex products in walmart so A great validation from the, the fortune one company, the largest retailer in the world. That is definitely exciting
1: and good luck to you about that. The last one we have for you is that
2: what is your one life mantra? Ooh, my one life mantra. This is deep. Um,
0: it's a tough one. Most people have multiple, so <laughs> that keeps changing.
2: I'm like, should I flip through one of my notebooks? I, I do love a mantra, I love a motto. Um, I think if I were to, uh, you know, the one that just kind of immediately comes to mind, it comes like right to my forehead, is also a, a, a quote from my mom, uh, which is the worst thing that anyone can say is no, and you're exactly where you are today. Exactly where you started, and so um, you know it's a it's a it's kind of a mantra that says you should go for it, you should ask, you should um, uh, like what's the worst that can happen? At least you kind of went for it. So that's probably the one that comes to mind the most. Um, But this question is also making me feel like I need to develop some different mantras.
1: (laughs) No, I think this is perfect, and this was really sweet. Um, That brings us to an end. Thanks again, Caitlin. This was an amazing conversation. I'm sure our listeners will take away a lot. And thank you for making the time.
2: Fabulous. Thank you guys so much for having me. And I, I can't wait to see you in real life. For sure.